So let's get into this message today. And in this message today, it's really, really cool how, uh, you know, I've had, to, I've had to rework this because when I was laying this, this sermon series out back um, a couple of months ago, I did not know that the dates were going to be like this. We're going to be here one week and then outside one week and then, you know, at the new location of the third week. So I've had to reorganize it, remove, move some stuff around, re- redo some of it. But when you hear this this morning, and you might not be thinking about it while I'm preaching it, but I hope sometime later today or this week you're going to say, wow, how God just kind of orchestrated this, that the pastor's message just fit on this day like that. And so, so let's get this message. Just before we have a word of prayer, I'm going to do some setup here before we have a word of prayer. We're going to go to Luke chapter 22. Verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And this began... This day began the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Those 24 hours that would change the world. And in these 24 hours, here, here when, when, when we don't really have a lot going on until later that day, sometime in the evening. And when we start picking up the story, we'll read some things here in a little bit out of Luke chapter 22. When we start picking up the stories, the story, the disciples are going to hear Jesus say at least three things. Three things that just tear them apart. He, he tells them, this is the last time I will eat this meal with you. This is the last time. And, and I'm about to leave here. I'm going to be gone. Leave. You won't see me again here on this side, of, this side of heaven. So I'm about to leave here. And tonight, one of you is going to betray me. And one of you is going to deny me. This is some pretty upsetting things. Jesus knows in the next 24 hours, amazing things are going to happen that are literally going to change the world. Nobody's ever impacted the world like Jesus Christ. No life has ever impacted the world like Jesus Christ. And he knew that what I'm about to do in 24 hours, is the next 24 hours, is going to change the world. And I'm going to have to use these guys right here. So before he could change the world, he had to rock their world. You see, we need to understand if we want to change the world, we've got to be willing to let him rock ours first. You ready to let him rock your world? You're not ready to change the world until you put yours in his hand and say, rock my world, God. Let's take, let's take a moment just for some prayer, and we'll get on to this message. Father, again, I love you, God. I thank you so much, God, for all of the many, many blessings, God. God, the, the uh, wonderful things that you've done in so many lives and families, God. God, so many people, Lord, that you have called into ministry, God, and th- the things that you have done. God, thank you, Lord. But God, now today we're looking, we're looking ahead, God, and, and, and to not something so awesomely different, but God, something so awesomely, uh, God, just on an exponential scale, that you're about to take what you have done in us, God, and now put it in somebody else. You're about to take what you have blessed us with and about to bless others, God, and I, I pray, help us be ready, God. And be up to the task to be a world-changing church, I pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay. So let me, let me lay this out for you just a little bit. Because, you know, we like things to happen a certain way. Creatures of habit, you could say. Our humanity, though, our flesh likes things a certain way. We like life to kind of go the way we want life to go. We want to control things. Somebody say Amen. Don't you, you, don't you want to be in control? Especially of your own life, right? We like things a certain way. For example, most of humans, most of humanity loves quick and easy. We like quick and easy. Yeah, you do. Microwave popcorn. 
you know? Fast food. You don't like it because it's good. I thought I'd get an amen there. But because it's quick and easy. We love quick and easy. I mean, you know, even when we go buy our food at the grocery store, what we're looking, you know, if we got 18, 19, good, I'm good for the express lane, you know, 20 items or less, I'm good. You know, we like that. Or, or now you can even skip that and do it yourself at Walmart, you know, scan your own items and you don't have to worry about, you know, the, the, the uh, cashier, you know, carrying on a conversation with somebody too long or whatever, you know, because we like quick and easy, like with money. Everybody wants quick and easy money, right? Why do you think we have, why do you think lotteries are big? Everybody's looking for a quick and easy uh, pocket of money. Uh, bingo parlors, you know why they got so big? Everybody was looking for that. Uh, you know, get rich quick schemes, scams, you know? You know why there's so many scams out there that are duping people? Because there are so many of us dupes that are looking for a quick and easy buck. That's why. We love quick and easy. We want everything, and we want it right now. And we don't have, want to have to work for it. Now, I know you said, oh, I don't mind. No, but your flesh is that way. If what you do is you have to keep fighting that flesh. I don't want to be lazy because I want to have a great life. But you have to fight that flesh. You don't fight it. That's who you'll, you'll be the one that wants quick and easy. We also like familiar and safe. We love our ruts. I know you think, no, i got to get out of a rut. But we love our ruts. Your flesh loves a rut. Because you know what a rut is? A rut's where everybody else has been running. You know, think about an old dirt road. And the ruts are safe unless every single person who drove that road before you ran off the road in the exact same place. The rut is going to stay in the road. So it's the ruts are safe. So, you know, it's a, it's a familiar thing. It's, it, it's, it's easy. So we like familiar and safe. We like the ruts. Think about how people do with churches. Now, listen, everybody doesn't leave a church for the same reason, but there are a lot of people that leave church, their church because something happens they don't like or there's something that they just don't like about the church. Maybe something changes or something always was, and so they leave it because they don't like it. They go around, they find, finally find a church that they like, and then they start trying to recreate things from their old church. You know, the one that they don't like anymore? They try to recreate that in their new church. And that's one of the things, man, we fight hard against the 2911. Let's, let's not, you know, make sure that we don't, we don't just try to recreate our whole church in here, you know, and do all those things because uh, that's one of the reasons that we're doing what we're doing. It's for those, but isn't that crazy? We do that, don't we? We do it this way. Here, this one, I think, well, uh, you'll understand it maybe a little easier and, and agree with it maybe a little quicker too. A lot of you, talking to married folks right now, a lot of you, when you were teenagers, you probably went through a phase where you disliked or hated at least one of your parents. You thought they were stupid, thought they were ignorant, thought they didn't have any of the answers. You had them all, you know, but they didn't have hardly any of the answers. And then 10 years later, you wake up and realize you are married to the spitting image of the one that you disliked. You know, why do we do that? It's because the familiarity, the rut, and we don't even realize it, but we, we gravitate toward it. And we do the same thing with God. Do the same thing with God. We come to God with all of our problems and say, here I am, God. I can't fix this. I need you to fix it. And do it this way, God. Do we not do that with our prayers and tell God how to fix it? Now, wait a minute. Why in the world you came to God because you can't fix it? You don't have the answer, so why are you telling God how to do it? But we do that, don't we? And then we get upset with God when he doesn't do it exactly the way we thought he was going, going to do it. You know, we like 
familiar and safe. And we also like things to be me-focused. Okay, I know you say, no, I'd really like to focus on others. But your flesh is me-focused. That's who we are. That's That's why we have so many people that are one of my pet peeves. Okay, I've been holding this one for three and a half years, so I'm sorry if I just let it out on you today. Okay, but three and a half years ago on Thanksgiving, I preached on my pet peeves. I, I, I preached. It was Thanksgiving night, you know, it was just kind of a little something, and I, I, pre- I preached on my pet peeves. And one I didn't have time to get to, I've been holding for three and a half years. Here, I'm going to give it to you today. All right. One of my pet peeves is people who are oblivious to other people around them. You know who you are. Driving in the left lane. Slower than everybody else. Oblivious to the fact that 20 cars are bumper to bumper behind you who actually have somewhere to go if you just get out of the way and let them go. You know? Or I think it's the, that's the same people that also cut you off in traffic because there's enough space for them to get in there. Oblivious to the fact that you're driving twice as fast as they are and you have to slam on the brake to keep from hitting them so that, you know, that, that they don't sue you even though they were the ones that cut you off. They're the same people that when you finally get to the store that you're going to, you know, and you're trying to find a parking place, they're walking slowly down the very middle of the lane, and you just have to creep along at two miles an hour, waiting for them to get out of the way so you can find a parking place, and then they drop something. And they have to stop and bend over to pick it up, you know, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and thinking, as they're bending over, this would be an awesome time to just right now, you know. <laughs> and then you get into the store, and the same person has gotten their card and they've gotten to a place where they find something, something, you know, find something they're looking for and they're shopping and they're shopping prices. And where do they park their cart? Crossways of the aisle, right? Nobody on either side can get, to the, uh, get through the aisle and so you have to go around. And then those same people get up to the front, oblivious to how many items they have in their shopping cart and to how many items it says on the, you know, on the express lane thing. You know, listen. Do y'all not count when you go through those? I mean, there's no way. If it said 20 items, there's no way if I, I count. I mean, I count. If it says 21, I just will not go through. I think I'd break it a law or something, you know. Maybe it's not, uh, maybe it's not a state law or, or even God's law. I just think it's a moral code that, hey, there are people who are in a hurry today, and they only needed two things, and if you've got 21 or more, you know, you're going to hold up the line. There's going to be four people behind you in a hurry, and you really weren't in a hurry if you needed 21 things, you know. That's what it's for. And then you go to the restaurant with these same people, right? And their kids are literally climbing the walls. Now, I mean literally climbing the walls. I mean, I can name names. I have been there in re- sitting with people at a table, and their kids were in a restaurant were climbing the walls, had sat in the windowsill inside the restaurant. And their parents aren't like, oh, isn't that cute? No, they haven't even noticed. And I'm thinking, if somebody doesn't do something soon, we're about to make a trip to the ER where that little boy falls out on his head and, and they don't even notice. And I think these are the same people that, you know, they gather 20, 25, 30 people, you know, around the table. And after they've eaten, they sit there for another hour, oblivious to the fact that there are 20 or 30 people waiting to sit down somewhere and there's a waitress who needs a tip from somebody besides you. You know, okay, I got that off my chest. All right, you'll have to talk to me later about my pet peeve of ketchup in the refrigerator and also whether it's right for it to be over or under on the toilet paper roll in your bathroom, okay? Just talk to me later and I'll lay those out for you, all right? We, We like things to be a certain way. And the last one is we like, thing, we, we like life to come at us unchallenged. Okay, somebody's, you're arguing with me. No, I like a challenge, but your flesh doesn't. 
If you like a challenge, it's because you fought through that flesh and you've become someone who says, I know I only grow through challenge, so I like a challenge. But your flesh says, I don't want to grow today. I want to be lazy. I don't want to be challenged. I want to be unchallenged. I want life to just be easy one day. Come on. I mean, you don't ever have days like that. Yeah. I'm a guy who likes, I mean, you know, unchallenged life is a boring life. You know, when creative people are unchallenged, they are bored. They're going to create something. You know, if you're a creative, that's, that's what you're, you're going to create something. You're going to find something to do. You know, but we do like, our flesh does like to be unchallenged. Here's what our flesh is like. We want to change the world without our world being changed. And we can't do it. And this is what Christ saw as he knew that he was about to, the next 24 hours, he was about to do things that would literally change the world. And then he was going to put it in the hands of these 12 men that were sitting around this table with him in Luke chapter 22, the night before his death. And he looks at them and see, he has seen these things cropping up in their life all along. He's seen the, oh man, this me focused thing. They're always talking about themselves. Always trying, you know, James and John even trying to get the, the seats right beside Jesus when we get to heaven one day, you know? I mean, they're ever, always, he, he, Jesus keeps seeing all these things come up in their life. And he, he knows, he said, man, if these guys are going to change the world, I got to rock their world here tonight. And so he did. And he gave them four lessons. He gave them four lessons that, that literally put them in a place. Because here's what you need to understand is a quick and easy, safe, me-focused, unchallenging Christianity will never change the world. And it never has. That is not the Christianity that changed the world. That is not the church that changed the world. And you know what gets me so excited is because when I look to the future, I'm reading about, you know, our next generations are coming up behind us, especially the 20-somethings and the teens. And you know what they they tell me about this generation? That they hate a lot of things about the church. And the things that they hate are those things right there. They hate quick and easy church. Hour and 15 minutes, man, I was here today. God's got to bless me now. They hate that. They hate this idea that, that quick and easy, all we got to do is show up just quick and easy. They hate, they hate this, this, this safe church. Come on, let's have some passion. Let's have, let's have some boldness. Come on, pastor. You know, I said some things last week about how I like people to tell me, you know, instead of saying good Good sermon. I'd, I'd much rather hear somebody say, and I've heard several of these guys say, man, that was, that was a gut punch today, Pastor. Oh, I, I love that. You know what? Of those people that say that, half of them are probably under the age of 30 that say that in this church. Because, and, and, because they don't want safe church. They, they hate, they hate the, the me focus of church. Come on, and look what we've done in, in the church world today. We have built churches that are focused on us. Everything's about right here. We do it all. That's why we keep trying to kick you out, you know. Get your small group out there somewhere. And, you know, well, I, maybe we didn't listen well enough because God's now kicking us out. I mean, he's taking us to a temporary place. You know, he's getting us out of our home. You know, he said, I, you know, hey, if y'all won't get your small groups out of here, I'll just get rid of all of it, you know, and you start all over out there. Yeah, it, it, but not, not the meat focus. They hate the meat focus, and they hate not being challenged. Challenge me, pastor. Come on, challenge me. So, you know, let's, let's, let's do something for somebody besides just us. Let's go across the ocean, at least across town. Challenge me, pastor. And you know, I think the reason, 
that they hate this in church so much is because God hates it in church as well. Because God knows that no quick and easy, safe, me-focused, unchallenging Christian will ever change the world. It's going to take passion. It's going to take a boldness. It's going to take a selflessness that is not focused on me and who I am today. It's going to take that to change the world. And so Jesus said, let me give you four lessons here, guys. And four things. And, and these four lessons are things that they learned in those last few hours after only being with Jesus for about three years. And we've learned in these last five years as a church, Church 2911, these four lessons. And listen, there are some things that, that we're going to walk away from today. There's a, a safety in this home court that we're going to walk away from today. But there are some lessons that we cannot walk away from. Because they are not about a building, they're not about a location, they are about our DNA and who we are. These things that, that Jesus taught them in this time together with them are four things that he taught us. Let's look at these four lessons real quick. The first one is preparation. Chapter, uh, chapter 22 of Luke, verse 7, again, we already read, we're going to read verse 8 also. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. If you hadn't learned it before you came to 2911, you know that we believe in preparation. Okay, now listen, years ago, they, I, I, had, I had one staff member said, so old Pastor Rick, you know, he likes to have meetings just to plan his meetings. You know, so, yeah, you know maybe a little bit of that, but, you know, but preparation. Why? We, we, one of the, the way we say it kind of around here, say it to leaders a lot, is spirit of excellence. We should do everything with a spirit of excellence. Why? Because of our example, Jesus Christ. He did everything with excellence. He did nothing halfway. He completely forgave your sin. He completely washed them away. There was never a lame man that came to him that Jesus healed one leg and sent him away with, with one still lame. He didn't, it didn't touch a blind man's eyes and only heal one of them and send him away half blind. Everything he did, he did completely, and he did with excellence. And because of the way he ministered to you, because of what he is doing in your life, for the same reason that that spirit of excellence is poured into you now, I and you, we need to also give a spirit of excellence with everything that we have within us and be prepared. Do, do whatever it takes to get it done. The spirit of excellence is also, secondly, is commitment. Jump down a few verses to verse 21. They're sitting at the table and Jesus says, but here at this table, sitting among us as a friend is a man who will betray me. And it, you probably know the story that Judas betrayed Jesus. He betrayed him. Now, just a few days before this, Jesus had begun speaking about these last days of his life and how things were going to end up. And there was going to be persecution. There was going to be rejection. And he had multitudes following him. But once he started talking about that, the multitudes started walking away. And Jesus said are you, to his disciples, are you going to leave me also? And they said, where are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life but you? And so they hung around. And so now he's there and he's got these, these few that said, we'll never leave you. Those who have left, they've gone, but we'll never leave you. He said, yet, but one of us is sitting here as a friend tonight, yet he will betray me. Theologians believe, and if you have watched movies, the latest movies that have been made about the life and death of Jesus, you will see, you know, Judas depicted, and, and, and we kind of have the understanding that what he was thinking was, this ain't going the way I was planning on it going, that some people even think that, that Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand. You know, Jesus, you're taking too long to do this. You got all the power. Hey, just zap everybody, you know, set it all up. 
the thought that, you know, I had this idea that we were building a kingdom, Jesus. Not going to a cross, not persecution, not rejection, not all. I, I thought we were building a kingdom, and so maybe Judas is trying to force his hand. Here's the question. Are you sold out to an ideal? Or are you sold out to a savior? You see, this, 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 this thing that is church 2911 today, the way we do things around here, that's going to change. One day that's going to change. Culture's going to change. There's going to be another generation come up under our teenagers, and they may be different, and that will change. But what will never change is the dream that God has given us. It's not about the way we dress. It's not about the buildings we're in. It's not about how we do any things we do. The dream is to reach the ones that don't yet know Jesus. The dream is never to be a cookie cutter to copy any other church around, because if we're doing that, then we're just going to be reaching the same people they're reaching. The dream is always to be a church that reaches those that nobody else reaches. Those in our community that nobody else reaches. That's the dream. And so, so when we commit, we got to remember, we, we didn't commit to a building. We're losing the bill. We've lost the wall. I don't know if you noticed. The names are gone. We've lost the wall. We had to paint over that this week. Get ready for the move. We're turning it over, handing it to somebody else. We're losing some things. But we cannot, you know, those kinds of things will go away. But the vision... What God has called us to do, what he's called us to be, can never go away. And that is that he's called us to reach those that nobody else is reaching, that nobody else can reach. And sometimes, that, uh, no, 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 pretty much all the time, that gets you out of your comfort zone. But if you're willing to have your world rocked, then come on, join us. And let's do it. Uh, thirdly, expect to be challenged. Jesus said, uh, I'm sorry, Peter said to Jesus that night, in verse 33 and 34, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered Peter and said, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Look at this. Simon Peter, throughout the rest of that night, in these last 24 hours, he is going to deny Jesus three times. And Jesus warns him, it's coming. You're going to be challenged. You're going to be asked. You're going to be put on the spot. And Simon Peter, you're not going to handle it. You're going to blow it three times, and he still does it, you know? I mean, he, he warns him. Simon Peter, the challenge is coming, and he still blows it. Can I warn you here today? If it's not yet come, the challenge is coming. You may have already experienced it. There are people who don't like the fact that your marriage is now doing better than theirs is. There are people like that out there. They, they do not like the fact that your marriage is actually being healed while theirs is still crumbling and falling apart. There are people who don't like the fact that you're growing in God. You're making progress. You're, you're hearing him speak more clearly in your heart than you ever heard him before. There are people who don't like that. And so they're going to challenge you. Some of them in your own family. Some of them co-workers. Some of them who don't know anything about Jesus. But they, they just don't like the fact that your life is working out and theirs isn't. And they're going to challenge you. And even other Christians. You know, you're praying. They're praying. And for some reason, you know, you, things are going well for you because you're saying, Rock my world, Jesus. And he's rocking your world. He's putting things together. And there are people around you that are not going to like it, even Christians, because, because you really are becoming selfless. You're pushing, pushing it all aside, saying, whatever you want, Jesus, and people aren't going to like it. So sometimes it's coming, but that challenge is coming, but sometimes it'll come from your friends or your coworkers. Sometimes it'll even come from other Christians. Sometimes it will come from the very devils of hell. But challenge is coming. Make up your mind right now. 
that you're going to stand up and you're going to, you're going to make it through the challenge. You're, you're, going to get, you're going to be committed. You're going to prepare and do whatever and make sure that you don't miss your opportunity to withstand the challenge. The challenge is coming. So stand up to the challenge. We, we understand challenges 29-11. We're under them right now. We're being challenged right now from several sides. We understand challenge. We don't laugh about it, but we understand challenge. And we understand that our God has already figured out and planned the way of escape. Because longer than I have known about the challenge, God had already planned the way of escape for my challenge. Expect to be challenged and handle it. And fourthly, the selflessness, servanthood. It's not about me. You've heard that around here, right? If you had not heard it in a while, it's not about me. And this is in John chapter 13 because um, John is the only one of the gospel writers that writes about this particular event happening in that same, same time frame, right around the table where they're, where they're going to have the, the Passover meal that now is becoming the Lord's Supper. Verse 5, Jesus pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Servanthood. This was God. You know, this was something that in their culture happened you know, because people walked around in sandals. They didn't have paved roads. They were dusty roads. And so they would have servants wash their friends' feet when they came to eat with them or something. This was kind of a culture thing. But Jesus was not a paid servant or an indentured servant. He's God. God got on his knees. And he took the shoes, the sandals off of his own disciples, these, these, these shepherds, these fishermen, this tax collector. He took the sandals off. He, he didn't wash their face. He didn't wash their hands. He washed their feet. And because he did, we can. Because he was this selfless, we can be. Because he was this, this much as the God, if God could be a servant, then I should be. And if Jesus will help me, I will be. Come on, somebody. I will be. He is our example of servanthood. He is the example. It's not about us. You've heard us say around here, you know, as soon as you get saved, it's not about you anymore. It was all about you till you become a Christian. It's not about you now. Here's what Paul says about it. He says, as a Christian, to continue to live here on this earth is about Christ. To go to heaven is my gain. What is about me is to get to heaven, get out, all this, out of all this junk, quit worrying about all, all the stuff that's in your life. Get out of this. To, for the, the win for me is to get to heaven and get away from all of this, have this be over. To stay here is all about Christ. So it's not about me. There's somebody else. I'm here because of some, I'm still here because of somebody else that needs what I've got in me, they need it in their life. That win that we talked about in the last sermon series, that's what it's about. It's not about me. It's about that win. Make up your mind. Because he did, I can. Because he did, I should. Because he did, I will. Become selfless. Would you stand with me?